From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Oh yeah, here we are rocking it for another great edition of the Automotive ADHD Show. I am Matt West, gearhead, car guy, whatever you want to call me, uh, though I am told apparently I am the host of this show and uh, got a loaded show uh, in the works for you today. And uh, now the thing is like, how do you even begin though? You know, I was sitting down doing my prep for this week's show and it's like, how do you even begin to top the show from last week? I don't know, in fact. I mean, uh, last week I had special guest, uh, 19-year-old entrepreneur successfully running a detailing business with several employees, and he's branching out to uh, selling detailing products, all sorts of cool stuff. Really got some insight of how... You know, he thinks about business, cars. It was a fantastic show. His name, by the way, is Sebastian uh, Wolfgram. And uh, yeah, and, and you know what? If you missed last week's show, you should definitely check it out. Just go back one episode here in your podcast feed and uh, give that a listen. It was really cool. I was very grateful to have Sebastian as well on the show. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> how do I top that? How do I top that? I don't know if it is possible to top that, but... I will say uh, that I do have some cool stuff to talk about today. Going to be talking about a gas station that's being sued for selling their gas too cheap. What? Yeah, also uh, General Motors is recalling a bunch of cars for headlight issues. And we're going to talk a little bit about how headlights, especially modern headlights, the LED ones work and why they kind of suck more. That's going to be interesting. Also, this might come as a shock to... um, to some folks, but jumping your Tesla 50 feet in the air for internet clicks and crashing into other people's cars is bad manners. And it's also really illegal. So we're going to get into that. I'm sure uh, if you've spent any time on social media that you have probably seen what I'm talking about, but I'm going to give you my thoughts, my perspective on that, and also why it's completely ridiculous and stunts like this on the internet. I don't know if they'll ever stop. Perhaps they should, though. Perhaps they should. Now, of course, going to talk about all of that and get into your car sounds here on the show. I have some awesome ones that I'm really excited to play that you have sent in. So that's going to be uh, really cool. Anyway, ladies, gentlemen, AMC Javelins, um, I before we get into any of that, I have to talk about... And NFTs again. I've, I've mentioned NFTs before on this show. Uh, non-fungible tokens. They are essentially digital works of art or images that have a specific... Uh, basically, they, they have a digital way to make sure they cannot be necessarily replicated and that they are unique. Think of, you know, owning a piece of art. You own that only piece or a limited edition collector's item. The idea is to digitize that and... Um, Oh, gosh. Well, the newest NFT craze now, it's a uh, NFT. It's an image of a Acura Integra, the new one, by the way. So it's already worthless, in my opinion. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Uh, It is the new Integra, and it's all shiny and in gold. Like, the whole thing is gold, and it's sitting in some water with some artsy background. I don't really understand it. It's very odd. Now, this NFT uh, is selling, though. For $37,000. Let that sink in. 37 grand. Oh my gosh. I don't understand this. So now this is part of um, Acura, is, was the original creator of this uh, NFT. The Acura themselves, they uh, made 500 NFTs for the launch 
of the uh, Acura Integra, the new one again. And uh, I talked about the new Integra months back on this show. My thoughts on it were I'm happy that it is a, you know, naturally or not a naturally aspirated, rather a um, a manual transmission. (laughs) Don't ask me how I mix those up, but it is a manual transmission, uh, you know, sedan with a turbocharged four cylinder. You know, it's a sporty sedan. I mean, that's kind of cool. We don't have enough of those in our market. So my take was, well, that's cool. But. Come on, it's still not as cool as the original Integra. Just, you know, my two cents there. But anyway, uh, Acura issued these 500 NFTs uh, to people who put in uh, reservations for the Integra, the first 500 people. Now, the funny thing is only 167 people have actually, like... Um, have actually, like, taken advantage of this. And I guess you could say cashed out these NFTs or... I. NFT stuff is weird. I I have a hard time talking about it. It's weird. How do you contextualize this? I don't know. 167 people who have actually, you know, um, collected on their NFT, I guess, and they have it now. Uh, That's a a pretty low number. I'm sure more than 500 people, or 500 for sure, have reserved an Integra, and only 167 of them cared to do this silly NFT thing. But the point is, one of these people who did do it is now trying to flip said NFT it hasn't sold yet for 37000 but just the fact that they're even asking that much money for it. Uh, I might go ahead and share this uh, on the Automotive ADHD Facebook page, facebook.com slash Automotive ADHD. If you want to see this NFT that I'm talking about, it's not even that interesting. I don't get it. And also, for some reason, the, the car is the golden Acura Integra is sitting on a pedestal in a lake. And the pedestal is like made out of some sort of fur. I'm trying to describe this to you in real time, and and there's like floating Tic Tacs in it. Like there's like floating glow, like gold orbs throughout the photo that are exactly the shape of the Tic Tac candy uh, mints. And uh, I, <laughs> this is really bizarre. NFTs are strange. Uh, no, I would not pay thirty-seven thousand dollars for this. Also, considering that the actual car that is being depicted in the image the car the, the real car not like the nft version of it the actual car is supposed to be starting somewhere around the $30,000 mark so that is um basically uh meaning that this nft this photo this image of a 3d rendered version of the car someone's asking more than the whole car i don't know and you know i it, this is not the first time i've talked about nfts on the show uh, i've also talked about uh, a lamp or yeah it was a lamborghini that was exploded by quote air quotes artists for the uh, sake of digitizing the exploded pieces and then selling them as nfts and i imagine they've made more money than that lamborghini is worth so i'm not saying this isn't a profitable venture i'm just saying it's a silly adventure and uh hey you know what it's your money if you want to spend it that way, <laughs> be my guest. You can't drive the NFT, though. You, you can't drive it. So I don't know. That's uh, that's really weird to me. So anyway, uh, I just, yeah, go look at it. The Facebook page. It's weird. Now, aside from NFTs, let's talk about General Motors for a uh, moment. They have uh, announced that they are recalling 740,000 SUVs. Uh, because the headlights, get this, if you've ever, you know, been in front of one of these vehicles and they've been glaring down in your rearview mirror, get this, the, the headlights are too bright. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I drive low cars a lot. Uh, and, uh, any truck SUV, larger, uh, sedan or anything, I don't know, larger than a bicycle tends to blind be blinding to me in a low car, but that's, uh, one could argue that's my own fault. But having said that, um, 
What's interesting here is they're recalling these SUVs because the perceived brightness of the headlights is too much. And what's fascinating is uh, I read an article and hat tip to uh, Henry Grabar from uh, the slate.com. And uh, he went into a, uh, a whole kind of explanation with uh, several experts, a light scientist, uh, as well as um, the, uh, the director, John Burlow, the director of light and health research at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. So he, he really did his research on this, uh, but they found what they found is that the manufacturers, right, have a certain requirement that the headlights must be a certain amount of lumens uh, to be passed by the Department of Transportation and to be safe for the road here in, in America, okay? And uh, now I know I have, a, I have a good chunk of listeners listening, listening in other countries, uh, but this is just how it works here in the United States. So I can't speak to Finland or you know, uh, Sweden or wherever, but I can say this is how they do it here. Now, the interesting thing is the scientists found that you, the lumens, again, it's a set measurement, uh, basically determine the output of a light. The lumens of a light can be the same, even though the perceived brightness can be higher. And this is fascinating because what they found is when, uh, headlights are a orangish yellowish color, a more a, uh, of a, I guess a tungsten sort of color, you could say, um, you know, like incandescent color, rather, I think would be a good way to put it, you know, older halogen style headlights. Um, and say you have a set lumen, say it's a hundred lumens, and then you have an LED headlight that has a bluer tint to it, a white to a bluer tint. Well, mechanically and strictly scientifically speaking, that can also have a hundred lumen output as registered by a device that, you know, can measure these things. And what they found is that by, um, uh, allowing by what by having those differences in the color of the light can actually change the human perception of how bright and how intense that light is, which is really interesting. And they found that LED headlights uh, have a perceived brightness substantially higher than that of uh, old school halogen headlights. And that is part of the issue. There have been a lot of complaints specifically relating to these uh, GMC, uh, I believe it was the terrains. And uh, what they found is that, you know, people were complaining, several complaints to the government that these headlights are just too darn bright. They are blinding. And uh, General Motors was arguing that, well, they meet the governmental requirement and that nothing should be changed. Well, the government has now forced General Motors to issue a recall for said headlights. Still, they said, yeah, you know what? These look pretty bright. Now, I think the issue is not that General Motors made them wrong, not that, you know, necessarily that the government, you know, gave them the wrong number. I think the issue is partly that, you know, we don't have the with this new information, this new scientific information, we don't have the whole story when it comes to how bright lights are. So this is a, just something that is fascinating. Yeah, there's an automaker doing a recall. We hear about recalls all the time. That's not all that interesting. But it is interesting when you go into the rabbit hole and see kind of why this exists. Now, Mark Ree, a light scientist from Mount Sinai in uh, New York, um, explained this. They said uh, He said, quote, Imagine a car with two headlights, one halogen, one LED, then they both meet the requirements. The light meter would say they are the same, but the LED would look 40% brighter, end quote. So that's basically what they're saying they found in their, um, their, their studies about this, that perhaps the way we measure headlights and light output 
is wrong. And why does this matter to you and me as the average driver? Um, because, holy crap, headlights are freaking bright when they are right in your face. Now, that's not to mention, too, um, you know, having your headlights properly aimed as one piece of maintenance, I know virtually no one does. Uh, you know, and some places in vehicle inspections, road safety inspections, they require that. But uh, pretty much anywhere here in the United States, that is not a requirement in any way, shape, or form. And after a couple of years, the aim of the headlights can become... Uh, it can, you know, get pointed up, it can get pointed down, you get this weird cross-eyed look. Hey, you know what, aiming your headlights should be a fairly regular uh, service, especially when you have a big truck here in the United States. Oh my gosh, there are so many trucks on the road, and I feel like the headlights almost look like they're, you know, five or six feet off the ground, and in some cases they actually are. And uh, so I, I wouldn't say this is uniquely an American problem, but I would say that we probably run into this more often. So imagine that you're driving a pickup truck, and I don't mean semi-trucks, I mean pickup trucks. If you're driving a pickup truck and your headlights are already too bright because they're LEDs and we don't have... Uh, the, 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 the way we measure the brightness of them is antiquated. It's not counting for that, that extra, uh, you know, factor there. Um, and, uh, and then you combine that with having a truck and the headlights are, you know, pickup truck and, you know, the headlights are like chest height when you're standing up and, uh, you know, and then maybe combine that even further with the fact that, you know what, it's been five or six years and you, and those headlights have been bumped out of alignment now and are pointing up instead of down at the road where they should be. So I don't know. The, the the public service announcement here I could say is adjust your darn headlights and it's not hard on most cars. It's a, like a screw on the back of the headlight housing or uh, where the headlight mounts, the headlight mount itself. So you know what? There you go. If you want brighter headlights though, especially off-road, I'm all for that. In fact, on my Jeep, I have a, a big LED light bar because I like to be able to turn the sun on at night, which is it's occasionally nice when you're off-roading on the trail, but you might want to avoid doing that on the street. I don't know. But hey, coming up, I got some other good stuff. Going to be talking about how a gas station was sued for selling gas too cheap. Is, is that really a problem we have now? Apparently is. I'll tell you about that coming up. Did you know there's a rare but serious condition affecting one out of every million? Most are born with it. And despite decades of research, doctors struggle to find a cure. The truth is, thousands of people simply don't know what cars are. For those affected, things are grim, but recent developments show promising success. New clinical trials using breakthrough audio technology have shown a 69% improvement in patients with the most severe symptoms. Treatments vary, but one day we may see a cure. More information is available at ThrottleWarrior.com. Oh yeah, there we go. That is Brad Stapp again. That is the second car sound he sent in. And uh, he recently sent in a sound of his Chevy Silverado with the Turbo LS V8 doing a burnout. And uh, that now is the same vehicle sans exhaust yeah he doesn't have uh he's got a different exhaust on it sounding mean oh that is cool i like the idea of fast trucks that's fun and uh now that said if you want to send your car sounds into the show have them featured right here tell your friends about it you can email me your car sounds matt at throttlewarrior.com or you can also post them on the automotive adhd facebook page facebook.com slash automotive adhd you know i was looking at the um 
there's a pinned post I have at the top of the page where you can comment with those car sounds. And I was just scrolling through there now. After several months of doing this, I'm amazed at how many different car sounds there are, how many different folks have sent those sounds in. And uh, it's just a whole thread of degeneracy now and people doing burnouts and and donuts. And I think that is fantastic. So if you want to get in on that action, if you want to see some of this uh, stuff as well, the cars that I am mentioning here on the show, go check out that thread. It's it's honestly really cool. I was I was showing some of my friends uh, a few of the things that are on there, and all of it is fantastic. So uh, yeah, feel free to send those car sounds in. I'm really excited to play them on the show. Oh, and before I forget, when you send those car sounds in, you are entered for a chance to win a $25 AutoZone or your favorite part store gift card. Uh, and you are also... Um, and with that gift card, you are going to also win a automotive ADHD key tag. Yeah, it is stylish. It is practical. It helps you fish your keys out of your pocket. And it tells your friends that you have degenerate, terrible tastes in podcasts. But hey, what can I say? I'm doing my part to help out. And uh, so, yeah, if you do want to win those things, I do that drawing uh, at the end of every month. Now, the reason I'm not doing a drawing right here is because we are going to have a slightly weirder month uh, the, with the way the way the month has lined up. Uh, we're going to, I want to be able to give folks a little bit more extra time to get those car sounds in before I do the drawing, uh, March here, we have a, uh, for the month of March, uh, we come short by a couple of days. So I'm actually going to do the drawing, uh, for March on the first show in April. That's going to be, uh, April 3rd going into Sunday. So there you go. That's when I will draw the next round of winners. So get those car sounds in if you want a chance to win. Now, I definitely have to talk about gasoline. It is the thing that makes all of our cars run unless you are uh, one of the folks listening who owns an electric car, which is totally fine. I, electric cars are fun. I do like them. Yeah, I've, I've, I've explained my opinion on those several times now here on the show. They are Fun cars. I am always a pro-consumer choice type of person. I don't think we should necessarily ban gas cars because we have to have electric. Let's just have it all. Let's just, uh, you know, let the consumers at the end of the day pick what they want. And uh, that said, anyway, that's a, that's a topic I have covered in great detail. Uh, and you know that for sure if you are a uh, regular listener of the show. Now, that said, gasoline, it has been more expensive now than Virtually, I won't say ever, but it's it's getting up there. It's definitely getting up there. Some parts of the country are seeing upwards of $7 a gallon. Uh, we're seeing averages almost touching the $5 a gallon mark, which is pretty darn high. And that has been that has resulted in a lot of folks um, stealing gasoline, which is rude. You shouldn't do that. And uh, that I talked about that as well in a previous show about gas thefts, people drilling into gas tanks. Well, now the thieves are just... <laughs> They're just going straight for the. Um, they're just going straight for the gas stations. Yeah, this happened uh, up the road for me, about an hour up the road from where I'm at here in Colorado Springs, in Aurora, Colorado. They uh, there was a gas station there that had fifty thousand dollars worth of gas stolen uh, by thieves in the night. And what the thieves did, this is fascinating to me at least. I don't condone this, but I think their methods are fascinating at least. Is they went to the pumps. And they somehow accessed one of the menus on the gas pump that was for maintenance and service. And they were able to um, turn on the actual pump itself, start pumping gas up from the tank uh, without actually paying any money for it. And uh, that's uh, one of those things that's, it, to me, it, it doesn't surprise me that gas pumps can be, a lot of people are saying that the gas pumps were hacked. 
I don't think that's necessarily accurate. I do believe that uh, these folks just used methods already built into the gas pump that are meant for the maintenance crews and the technicians to be able to activate certain things and test things. And I think they exploited that. Um, and uh, that, that said, though, it's still a tragedy. I mean, uh, you know, the gas station owner had $50,000 worth of gasoline stolen from them. And sure, they have insurance for this sort of thing. But come on, that just kind of blows. Now, that said, too, a lot of people uh, quick to criticize this say, well, they're big gas station chains. They got the money. Don't worry about it. But the fact is, a lot of gas stations, be it your, you know, here in you know Colorado, we have a lot of uh, Shell brand gas stations, Circle K brand um, uh, Sinclair brand, these different brands, right? And you see these major chains. Well, these major chains are actually owned by usually small business owners, small family ownership. Uh, even though they might be a big chain gas station, it's a lot like how your McDonald's, your Wendy's, you know, your in and out fast food places work. It's actually, they're usually local franchisees, local business owners who purchased franchise rights to then build that franchise and use that branding and they are on at the end of the day the ones on the hook for the money you know as a corporate corporation a lot of these big gas stations aren't just opening them no they're selling franchise rights to individual business owners that's why a lot of times you have in a major city you might have say oh i don't know how about uh two conoco brand gas stations across the street from each other the same brand right next to each other two 7-elevens and uh, in, in some ways, that sometimes happens. And that's not because, oh, the company is just an idiot and they didn't know they built one gas station next to the other. No, that's just, it's an individual business owner. And they uh, paid for the licensing and the franchise rights. So when you're stealing that $50,000 worth of gas, I think a lot of people who do criticize this saying, yeah, you're stealing it from big oil, the big companies, when, I don't know, in, in reality... Those are business owners. Those are local folks who got kids in, you know, the local schools and and whatnot. So um, that's just and that's just my take on it right there. I think uh, the the rule of thumb here is don't steal gas. That is rude. Now, are there any solutions to this aside from redesigning the pumps and creating a higher barrier of security for these maintenance modes uh, on the pumps? Uh, which that's a great idea, or at least creating. Uh, some more security to access those functions on the gas pumps. Um, you know, that's and that's tough. I mean, that's up to, at the end of the day, not just the designer of the gas pumps, but that's also up to the business owners themselves to facilitate that change and, you know, get the pumps changed out. And that could be really expensive. So, uh, and, and that said, I mean, what... What else can we do about it? I mean, uh, the gas stations, worst case scenario, I could see gas station operators just turning off the remote pay feature and disabling a lot of the electronic management features of the pumps and just saying, nope, you got to come inside to pump. There's no other way to do it. You got to come inside to pay, you know, like you would with cash and then go back out and pump. And I, that's only a half-baked solution. I think that would result in just more people walking into gas stations and then robbing the clerk there at two in the morning instead of just hacking, well, hacking, quote unquote, the gas pump. I don't know. Uh, it's not, I, I, I can't necessarily say that there's a good solution to this, um, you know, as a, just a mere humble talk show host here. But I definitely think uh, that is something like, come on, like people are struggling for gas as is right now. If you're stealing it, that's pretty rude. Now, moving on from that, I also want to talk about uh, there's a gas station in Waukesha, Wisconsin uh, called Woodman's. It was a local gas station franchise. Speaking of franchises, they are now being sued. <laughs> they are being sued for selling gasoline too cheap. Is that a real thing? 
Can you get sued for selling gas too cheap? Now, this comes from the local ABC News affiliate in Waukesha, WISN, and uh, they uh, they looked into this and started investigating it. And it turns out in Wisconsin, apparently, you can get sued for selling gas too cheap. Wisconsin, as a state, has the Unfair Sales Act, which is to essentially protect businesses from competition trying to undercut the market so hard that they drive everyone else out of business. And uh, now that said, this gas station wasn't selling gas monumentally cheaper. It looks like it was only about 20 cents cheaper than its competition across the street. But that 20 cents a gallon cheaper, uh, that discount was more than enough to get people lining up, waiting in line at this gas station when the other gas stations had no business. Now, what is my take on this? My take is um, that they should be able to set their gas price wherever they can sustainably operate their business and manage their overhead, their wholesale gas prices, their utilities and things like that. And uh, the other gas stations, and here I am just talking about how they're small businesses, they have to contend with this stuff. But in a lot of ways, you know, if you make a jump as a business owner and decide to undercut the market knowing you make less profit, but by making less profit per gallon, you generate 20 times as many customers and you end up offsetting some of that cost. Uh, now, that said, some of the competing gas stations in that area uh, decided to file a lawsuit against this uh, franchise for $80,000, which, again, I'm trying to take a position of pseudo neutrality here because i just talked about how gas stations are small business owners and they have all these things to contend with and they're not major corporations they're owned by their franchises of these corporations but they're not necessarily big companies themselves and uh but that said too suing your competitor because they found a way to manage their costs so that they could charge less for gas and therefore acquire more customers and ultimately make more money i don't know if that's necessarily I don't know if that's necessarily playing dirty and then by suing them after the fact, because you're kind of butthurt that they were doing that, that might be kind of playing dirty there. So, uh, uh, you know what? I will say, you know, with gas prices such as they are, uh, even here in the U.S., we don't have it the worst. I mean, there's some places in Europe right now uh, that are way more reliant. And I talked about the reasons behind these gas price in increases and the whole uh, issue with Ukraine. I did a I did a whole show on that a few weeks back. Great show. You got to listen to it, by the way, if you haven't. Scroll down in your podcast feed and you will find it. Now, a lot more places were uh, more reliant on foreign gasoline, and they're having an even harder time than we are here in the U.S. So I, I would say, you know what, as a consumer, um, anytime you can get the gas cheaper, and if the owner of the gas station can float the cost, you know what, I'm... I would have to lean towards being for that because that's helping people out in a time when gas is expensive and we're all just trying to get places and go places. I mean, even aside from being car enthusiasts as you and I may be, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the gasoline, that's important stuff right there. So anyway, getting on with some more topics. This has been a crazy loaded show. I got more stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about flying Teslas and how they're probably not suited for flight. That's coming up next. Every day, thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels. I'm Steve, turbocharged BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block. Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd, and I bought a rotary. It's okay, bro. We'll uh, swap it. 
but no more. You, yes you, can make a difference. For as little as $5 per month, you can put an end to Project Car suffering and support your favorite podcast. Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Donate now and receive special perks. Sponsored by Autoholics Anonymous and the Speed Council. Yeah, there we go. That is Mike and his boosted S13 hatch with an SR20 swap. It's got a forged bottom end, 320 wheel horsepower on pump gas. How cool is that? That, uh, by the way, not only was that Mike's car, but that was sent in by his buddy and listener of the show, New Long Lore. I want to thank uh, both of you gentlemen for sending uh, those car sounds in. Keep them coming. And of course, if you want to enter for your chance to win the $25 gift certificate and the keychain, I'll be drawing that next week. Send those sounds into the Facebook page. Now, you are, of course, listening to the Automotive ADHD show heard on the radio in Southern Colorado as well as around the world as a podcast. Now, uh, before I talk about flying Teslas, oh man, this is that's that's a can of worms. Before we get into that, though, someone on YouTube found the last remaining American Motors dealership uh, in uh, Pikeville, North Carolina. This is cool. Um, so, American Motors, uh, AMC. Uh, is a defunct car company that was one of the competitors to the big three, uh, Chrysler, General Motors, and uh, as well as Ford. And uh, they 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 duked it out. They did good for I won't say they that's a, that's an overstatement, but they duked it out for thirty years with the big three. And uh, they you know what they made some iconic cars: the uh, Javelin, the uh, Pacer. They also made I mean the the AMC Gremlin, I mean, American Motors. You know they're one of my favorite car companies, and uh, you know. <laughs> My, one of my favorite car companies is a dead one. How how cool how cool is that, right? No, uh, I do own two of their two of their products though, an older Jeep as well as a uh, AMC Hornet, which is sort of like a long Gremlin. It's like the front half of a Gremlin, but with four doors. Is a Gremlin a, a short Hornet or is a Hornet a long Gremlin? I, you know what? The world may never know. But that said, uh, there's a uh, YouTuber who discovered a bunch of AMC cars parked out in a field in North Carolina and decided to go into the history of it and reach out to the owner who is the son of the um, uh, the now owner was the son of the then owner of the dealership. And uh, it was a uh, it was called Collier Motors AMC. And it's just really, really neat seeing some of these old cars it's a really long video too if you do want to see this it's about an hour long maybe just put it on the background and do other stuff and but it's really cool going car to car seeing some of these cars that were on this now abandoned dealership it's all overgrown with trees and plants and there's bushes growing out of these amcs uh there's a bush growing out of one of mine actually <laughs> i think about it uh but that said um the uh cars are really neat some of them were actually even new stock at the time when the dealership closed and just parked there it just left them there no barely any miles on the clock i mean that is prime pickings to uh have someone go out there uh and dig a couple of those cars out and try to get them running maybe restore them i don't know about restoring some of them you know american motors i will say of all the 70s car interiors i think american motors probably had the least good i don't want to say worse so least good we'll say um the bodies were okay they tended to rust i mean everything from the 70s rusted but no the engines the drivetrains 
I mean, when you look at the classic AMC straight six, the 252, uh, and, you know, that they put in the Jeeps, which later became the 4.0 high output once uh, uh, Jeep uh, went under Chrysler's ownership, the venerable, indestructible six-cylinder, inline-six, four-liter Jeep engine. I mean, that that all boils down to American Motors. You know, they make a good, I won't say a powerful powertrain, but they made a reliable one for an American car, and um, that is cool. You know, AMC will always have a special place in my heart, so if you want to see that video, it's really cool. Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Now, without procrastinating any longer, let's talk about that flying Tesla. You... If you've been on social media, I guarantee you have seen this. You have seen clips of it, perhaps on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, any form online. Uh, the Internet has been abuzz with this flying Tesla. And uh, basically, this happened in California where there's lots of hilly roads. And they, uh, I'm not even going to say the gentleman's name, and I'm not even going to say the YouTuber's name who posted this because I don't really want to encourage this sort of um, behavior or give them the credence and publicity that they are desiring by doing this. So just know that, that I am not going to be mentioning any names here. I don't feel like promoting that. So that said though, um, they, uh, decided to, uh, take this Tesla and, uh, you know, go to the bottom of one of these really hilly neighborhood roads, like, like darn near vertical neighborhood road. Cause they have that in parts of California and, uh, then jump the car. And they got the car up to a pretty reasonable speed. Apparently, there were several passengers in the car, as well as a cat, for some reason. I'm, you, you, uh, you can't see it because this is audio, but I'm, I'm, I'm holding my hands in the air in, in, a, in a confused gesture. <laughs> there was a cat in there. I can't explain that one. Now, the good thing is the cat was unharmed. The passengers were unharmed. No one, when the Tesla landed, no bystanders on the sidewalk and the road were injured. That's all good stuff. That is, there was some substantial property damage, though. So you can imagine here, and if you've seen the videos, the Tesla goes jumping in the air, probably soars horizontally at least 50 feet, getting a good amount of vertical air as well, and then crash lands on its nose, slides into a bunch of parked cars. This all ha happened at night while uh, presumably 50 other YouTube vloggers were all filming it at once. And, um, and, and, and you know, the thing with doing these sort of viral stunts like this is it's one thing to do the stunt and knowing that it's a stunt and taking some of the precautions and not doing it on public roads and not doing it next to people's parked cars on the street. Uh, and it's another thing to just do it for the, uh, do it for the gram, do it for the vine. Well, <laughs> there we go. Dating myself there. The vine, that's not around anymore. Doing it for the TikTok, I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is one of those things that it's just not a good idea. It's just not a good idea. Like, you know, I've talked on this show about Tesla destruction in the past. I, you know, I have. There was a guy who blew up his Tesla to make somewhat of a statement about Tesla's repair uh, and uh, self-repair and uh, getting parts and things and, they, and how Tesla kind of doesn't let you do those things. Well, he blew his Tesla up in a quarry with all of the, you know, proper safety and precautions and fire crews present and uh, did it on, you know, not a public road. And, and granted, I thought, you know, my opinion, I believe at the time was that, you know, there was probably a better use for that car than just blowing it up for internet clicks. But that said, he did it safely. It was his car, private property. You know what? Blow your car up if you want to. 
Uh, that's not what happened, though, with this Tesla flying through the air. Now, that brings to another question about insurance. A lot of people were talking about that. Like, well, he's, he must have insurance. He's just going to write the car off. Well, it turns out the Tesla was rented. And apparently the guy did have the extra rental insurance coverage. But just because you have the rental insurance coverage doesn't mean they're going to cover acts of deliberate destruction. A lot of insurance policies, if you read the policy, don't cover things where you deliberately destroy your own vehicle. And I'm pretty sure um, jumping it for the sake of jumping it, this was not a, oh, I didn't notice the hill type of thing. He started at the bottom and went full speed up it. And there are dozens of videos from different angles too because there were so many youtube vloggers there filming this incident uh and uh so i i have a feeling the insurance is probably going to deny this claim and that the rental company is going to come after the guy for the 150 some thousand dollars that a fully kitted out optioned out model s might come with they're going to come after the dude for it then he's going to presumably try to file the insurance to his personal insurance which is also then going to decline it and this is going to suck for the guy who did it i don't imagine he got hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of ad revenue from the uh youtube video uh or from the youtube videos plural that said uh now also you know the the thing is there was a gentleman who had his um subaru uh rear-ended by this tesla when it came down and he's now started a gofundme page because his car was damaged in this incident and um he can't necessarily go after uh you know this guy's insurance because well this guy's insurance is going to be denying this claim as well so a lot of folks though have been criticizing the guy on gofundme for wanting to have his car insured or to have uh, set up the gofundme to repair his car because they're like well that's what insurance is for um and uh, here in the united states you know we have comprehensive insurance and we have liability insurance in most cases and the and i will say i have had experience with this dealing with insurance a fair amount uh, I have been in a few no, few number of car crashes, none of them my fault. I've, I've gotten unlucky, but I did have the misfortune once to be um, uh, crashed into by an uninsured driver and uh, got to see how that process works. And uh, it's pretty lengthy. Let me let me tell you that. But that said, if this guy who had his Subaru hit by the dude jumping the Tesla for the viral video stunt, um, if he had liability insurance only, that only covers liability uh, his liability. If he causes damage to someone else's car or property with his vehicle, that liability insurance will cover that. If he has comprehensive insurance, the way that works is that uh, the insurance company, he can file a claim against his own company and then they will pay out and, and fix that. You know, for instance, if he caused an accident, they would still pay him out, but probably increase his rate and do some other things. No, nothing is free. You're not just gaming the system and making money from the insurance company. That's <laughs> that's not how they operate. So, um, yeah, it, long story short, you know what? Not to be on a downer on a bad topic. No, it's not. But it's, uh, you know what? If we are going to go full Dukes of Hazard with Teslas, and I am all for this. I'm going, I'm for going Dukes of Hazard with whatever you want to jump. Just don't do it in a way that hurts other people and or their property and or endangers people on public roads. That's probably your best thought. I have jumped cars before. I will say that it is um, it is exceptionally violent being a passenger in a car that's being jumped. And uh, but I have only done so off road and in sub five hundred dollar cars in a well safe would be safe would be in a, a little bit of an exaggeration. Uh, safe for anyone else standing around it. And I'll put it that way. So there you go. And uh, look, if you want to live out your dreams, being Bo Duke. Jumping cars, except Teslas, I guess. You know what? If you're doing it safe, you got the money to burn. I can't stop you. I can't stop you. Unlike this scenario, though, this was pretty reckless and 
I would advise against it. Now, uh, by the way, I do want to thank you for joining me on this fine edition of the podcast. Of course, I also want to thank those uh, those of you who came over as well from the radio show. And uh, by the way, if you want to share your thoughts, share your car sounds, get entered for that chance to win the uh, gift certificate and the keychain, you can do that. Send those car sounds into the Facebook page or you can email them to me, Matt at ThrottleWarrior.com. And uh, next week, I should have a really fun show in the works. I'm working on getting a great guest who is making a documentary about grassroots racing and why some racetracks are possibly disappearing. And uh, this is really cool. I'll uh, I'll keep you updated on the uh, Facebook page as well once I get that guest here in studio. So you want to listen next week for that. Now, remember to also subscribe to this podcast wherever fine shows and this one are downloaded. And uh, I'm on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, all of the above. Remember to give it a rating as well. Now, I will see you same time, same place next week when I uh, lose to Takumi on the downhill. That was a tough race. I'll see you then.